Good evening. We're glad to have all of you with us and those of you who are with us online as well as we commemorate what Christ did for us almost 2,000 years ago. And so we call it Good Friday, not necessarily because of the things that happened, but because of what was accomplished. And uh, we start by, if I could just ask or review what did happen on that Friday. And the Bible describes the events to us, describing Jesus, that he was a, a man of despised and forsaken of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yea, he did not open his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And those words, that description of the crucifixion of Christ were not written by contemporaries, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That was written seven centuries before, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. And on this Good Friday, Jesus uh, would withstand a mockery of a trial after being betrayed by one of his own disciples. He'd be beaten and whipped. They would take a crown of thorns and in a mocking fashion put it on his head as though he was the king. And in John chapter 19, verse 15, it says after that trial, they cried out to, to Pilate, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. What a fickle twist of fate. That same crowd five days earlier on Palm Sunday cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they could be swayed in their opinion and in their, their passions to now call for the death of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us as he hung on that cross that the soldiers gambled for his garments. As he hung there, he did a handoff. He said, Mom, behold your son, talking about his best friend John, and John, take her as your mother. On the cross, he cried out, I'm thirsty. They gave him uh, sour wine on a sponge to drink. He cried out to his father, Where, why have you forsaken me? And then into your hands I commend my spirit. And he said those final words, it is finished. We know then that Joseph of Arimathea, a, a secret disciple, asked to take his body, took his body down and laid it in a tomb in preparation for, uh, for Sunday. Saturday was coming, the next day, the Sabbath, and so they were not allowed to do any work whatsoever, including preparing a dead body. So they waited for Sunday. And so as I thought about uh, our Good Friday sermon, our Good Friday service, it is really, in essence, what would be a, a funeral for Jesus. A funeral is uh, ceremonies for a dead person prior to burial. And I shared with the men's group a couple of months ago and often used as a template for funerals for loved ones who have passed that we look back on a person's life and remember things about them. And if we could put those into categories, we tend to remember how they lived, how they loved, and how they left. And if we were to use that as a way to frame thoughts about Jesus in his life, if it were his funeral, and there wasn't a funeral on Friday because there was such fear of the Jews because he'd just been executed. But if there were, 
I'm sure when we talk about how Jesus lived, Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 would stand out. Jesus said of himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to live his life for the good of others. He came to serve. We talk about how we'd spend the last day of our life and the last day of Jesus' life. He washed his disciples' feet, even though they were undeserving of that. We talk about how a person lives, and, and uh, looking at the life of Christ reminds me of a very well-known book that we've uh, featured in the past, Purpose Driven Life. And Rick Warren writes, if you want a life of purpose that looks like the life of Christ only for you, the very first sentence of the book says, it's not about you. He goes on to describe it and says, the purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, greater than your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by His purpose and for His purpose. Colossians 1.16 echoes that to us. It says, everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. Jesus modeled for us a purpose that we need to find a way to adopt for our own lives, and that is, how do I live a life that serves other people? You look at the very first miracle he did. It really was for someone else's good. He was at a wedding, and the wedding host uh, was facing embarrassment, uh, but instead Jesus went ahead and miraculously turned water into wine, not for his good, but for them. You read the Gospels, and uh, if you're taking notes in, in Mark chapter 6, you can see something that happened over and over again. Mark records how Jesus had spent a day teaching to the multitudes, healing the multitudes, an exhausting day, uh, loads of public ministry. At the end of the day, he tells his disciples, let's give them something to eat. And so thousands of people were fed with a handful of, of, of fish and bread. And then when they got in the boats to go to another place, a secluded place so they could kind of have some downtime and rest and kind of renew themselves, the crowd saw where they went and followed them. And while, when they get there, the crowd's already there. Happened numerous times, and Jesus wouldn't say, listen, it's my day off, leave me alone. No, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. That's how he lived. How did he love? If we remember how he lived, we remember how he loved. Well, first of all, Jesus set the standard for love, didn't he? In John 13, 34, he tells his followers and us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Only a person who loved perfectly could say that, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Many times at a funeral service, family members or friends will be asked to share memories about the loved one. And uh, I'm sure that there would be some that would say, I remember when Jesus loved in a way that was disarming to children. On more than one occasion, he called a child into his, come here, sit on my lap, let me, let me talk about the kingdom of heaven and how you have to be like a child. And he was disarming. Kids felt comfortable around Jesus. There's a special love that's necessary there. There may have been uh, someone like Zacchaeus or Levi because Jesus loved in a way that people who re re felt rejected with Jesus felt accepted. Maybe even bullied. I mean, Levi was a, a little guy, the bar, or, Matt, or Zacchaeus was a little guy, the Bible says. He was a tax collector, which the people hated because they were, they were Jews by, by nationality. 
but they were hired by the Roman Empire to collect taxes, and basically whatever they could collect above what was required was there. So loads of corruption by nature, and they were seen as ripping off their own people. So there was huge hatred for tax collectors. Zacchaeus on top of it is a little guy, and so he probably was bullied and uh, treated poorly and rejected. So it was Matthew, and yet Matthew became one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Jesus loved in a way that people who were rejected felt accepted. Jesus was someone that when he loved you, he spoke to your potential. You know the people that you're around, when you're around them, you feel like encouraged about who you could become? You feel in touch with what, what's ahead of you rather than all the things that are behind you? Jesus did that. Peter was uh, one of those people. Maybe you, uh, you are like that or you know someone like that. He would speak first and think later and uh, was somewhat impulsive in his actions. And yet he said to Peter, Peter, your, your, your original name is Cephas, which means reed or easily blown about by the wind, but I see you as a rock. Upon you, I'm going to build my church and people like you. I imagine that being around Jesus, he loved you so that you just felt good inside about God's potential in you. And somehow the things you were insecure about or ashamed of tended to fade when you're with Jesus. Jesus loved with a love that was full of forgiveness. We all know people that we love in our lives, but their love doesn't forgive very easily. And, and there was a woman that could easily have stood at Jesus' funeral and said, I remember when I was, I'm afraid to say it, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was caught in the very act of adultery. I was kind of set up. Nonetheless, what I did was worthy of the death sentence according to the Mosaic law. And all my accusers gathered and they took me there in front of Jesus. I was so ashamed and I was so afraid because I was sure I would be executed. But then Jesus turned the tables on the crowd and said, let he that's without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, my accusers dropped their stone and left. And I was standing there just with Jesus. And I knew forgiveness like I'd never known it before. Jesus has a love that helps us be in touch with the potential and the future that God has for us. Jesus loves us in a way that we feel accepted, not rejected. Jesus loves us in a way that he forgives us. And Jesus loved in a way that, that calmed people that he loved and reassured them. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, twice, he says the phrase, let not your heart be troubled. And there was just something about Jesus and the way he loved I'm sure the way he looked at you, the way he connected with you, the way he spoke to you, that there was a sense of, ah, you know people like that in your life? Well, you love to be around them. You love to be loved by them. We remember how Jesus lived. Remember how Jesus loved. And what about the way Jesus left? Well, if you go to Good Friday, his final leaving was very tragic. And when I look at that in terms of our lives today, I will often say, you know, I don't know how my life's going to end. You know how your life's going to end. But if it has a tragic ending, I would hope that people would kind of jump over that and go back to the memories that are fond and, and encouraging and, and, and loving and not let everything be the sum total of how they left. We are told to remember how Jesus left in that tragic way because it speaks to us of how much he loved. Of his own words, he said, greater love has no one than this that he laid on his life for his friends. And so Jesus wanted us to know that by dying on a cross for you, I can't possibly love you anymore.
But it's not a love that you and I had to earn. That's the incredible thing. There are people who love us, but we have to earn our way there to stay there. Jesus loves, period. Just because you are. And so we remember the way he loved. But then as we look back and the way he left, but then as we look a little before that, we realize that Jesus left without any unfinished business. There weren't things he had to yet say or do, scores he had to yet settle. And he left knowing what was waiting him. We go back to the Last Supper and we realize that Jesus knew those were his, that was his final conversation with his disciples before literally all hell was going to break loose. And, and in that, he was leaving. He was saying goodbye. And as he said goodbye, as I said twice, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be fearful. You believe in God, believe also in me. He talked about the fact, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, because, boy, in the world, peace is fleeting. It is temporary. It does not last. It is easily shaken. I'm leaving you my peace. I'm giving you my joy, my reassurance to you. Jesus left in a way that helped his disciples feel that sense of safety. And there was a, after he rose from the grave, he was buried, he rose from the grave. We'll talk about that this weekend. At the end of the Gospel of John, the very last verse, Jesus left with an imprint of wonder on his followers. Because John says, you know, these things I've written and, and there's this is just the tip of the iceberg, I'll paraphrase. And he said, I suppose that if everything that Jesus did was recorded, that all the books on the earth couldn't contain the deeds that he had done. That's a pretty phenomenal three-year public ministry. But Jesus left them with a sense, with an impression, with a feeling. And that, that feeling was, it is well with my soul because of Jesus kind of feeling. And so here's the, a, a little different twist for Good Friday than perhaps we might normally take. But when I've done funeral services for people and I've asked us to remember how they lived, how they loved, and how they left, I'll say, you know, one of the greatest things we could do on behalf of the deceased, although Jesus wasn't deceased very long, but one of the greatest things we can do in paying tribute to their life is to allow their life to speak to ours to allow somehow the way they lived and they loved and they left to raise the bar for us because we're not done yet. We haven't lived our final day. We haven't breathed our final breath. We haven't said our last goodbyes. And so while it's not too late for us, we're still writing the autobiography of our lives. We're still writing the script for our loved ones to, to, to look back on and reflect on. We're still writing the impact that our life has. What greater tribute could we pay to someone who has recently passed? What greater tribute can we pay to Jesus other than to look at his life and say, okay, in response to Christ's life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit myself to living more authentically like he did. I'm going to love better. I'm going to love with more forgiveness. I'm going to love more freely. I'm going I'm to be the person who reaches out to those who are rejected. I'm going to be that person that gives people a sense of well-being, a sense of hope about who they are because of the way that I can bless them. And, and I'm going to love in a way that not only speaks to their potential, but also helps calm them so when they think about me, it will be a... When they think back on me and 
being in their life, there'll be a sense of gratitude and that I left an impact on them and an imprint on them. One of my mentors wrote a book called Invisible Imprint. And he basically talks about the idea that how, think about each of us has an imprint. And if you just go through people in your life, different people, when they walk in the room mentally for you, they make you feel a certain way. Some people kind of tense you up. Some people kind of make you feel on the spot. Some people just by, by coming in the room and spending time with, you feel a sense of ease or a sense of joy or you feel love, you feel valued, you feel worthwhile. And that imprint is something that we determine. Most of the time it's unconsciously, we don't think about how do I want that person to feel having been with me, but we can be intentional. And I think one of the greatest acts of respect we can do for Jesus Lord, look at the way you lived, you loved, and you left. I've got some growing to do. I've got some improving to do. I have ways that I could be a greater blessing in the lives of other people. So in, in response to and in gratitude for what you did for me and how you lived for me, I want to live for you in those same kinds of ways. So we've got a song that's simply called Communion, and then we're going to go to communion uh, after that, and I'll give you instructions with that. But as you listen to this song, allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to you. Sooner or later, it'll be your chance and my chance to be the body in the box or the ashes in the urn. And whether it's verbalized at a public gathering called a funeral or not, somebody will think about how I lived. And will they say, Man, he was unselfish and he served others. Somebody will think about how you loved. And I would think we'd want them to say, but they love freely. They forgave and then they forgot. They cared. They valued. They've left a lasting, loving, precious impression on me. And when they left, there was no unfinished business. There was no bitterness. There was no doubt about how they felt about me or how they felt about others or where they were with God. So listen to this song that celebrates what Christ did for us and allow the Holy Spirit, because Paul tells us when we take communion to examine ourselves, examine yourself. In honor of Christ, where do you need to up your life when it comes to serving? Where do you need to love a little deeper, a little more freely? And when it comes to leaving, where do you need to be more intentional about the impression and imprint you want to leave behind on those that are in your life? Your blood shed for me my hope Eternity, your grace shown to me gives me life, and now I see your broken body is my healing, your sinless blood gives my redemption, your chosen. Free brings perfect life. 
glad he did that? Took all of our shame. Restore what was lost. Jesus died so that we could have eternal life. And it is uh, short-sighted to think that that eternal life starts once I breathe my last breath. 
No, it starts once I accept Christ as my Savior and He promises to me abundant life. And unfortunately, we have depreciated that abundant life into stuff. But Jesus died. He left us a commandment. Okay, now as I'm leaving, love other people like I love you. That's a pretty high bar. So love them freely. Reach out to the person who's rejected or, or misunderstood. Give forgiveness easily. Learn to forget. Speak to their potential. Leave on them an imprint that makes them hopeful. That because of the way you lived to give and to serve, it made them grateful for you. And that's what we're going to remember because Jesus said as often as we take the bread and drink the cup, remember what he did and remember his death until he comes. But as Pastor Shane said, there are two ways to do that tonight. Uh, we did this last year, and many enjoyed it. We want to make that available again. In just a moment, I'll ask you to stand. And when we do, if you'd like to, to dismiss yourself to the tables in the lobby over 10789 or any of the furniture in the concourse, if you want to go there and take it as a family or as a couple or with a friend, you're free to do that. If you'd rather stay here, reflectively in the auditorium, I'll lead us in taking communion here. So why don't we stand to make it easy for those who want to leave. And uh, you can go ahead and dismiss yourself now. If you'd like to do family communion or as a couple or with friends out in the lobby, straight out that way, and then going towards your left. Feel free to dismiss yourself at this time. And there are also some guidelines there on what to say, how to take communion. So feel free to dismiss yourself if you'd like to do that. And once it looks like your row has uh, had people slip out, we'll wait another minute or two, then you can be seated again. All right, you can be seated. First Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul said this, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. You ever been betrayed? You ever people say one thing and do another? Maybe they pledge to be with you till death do you part. Neither of you died and they're gone. Maybe it was somebody you really trusted. I don't know about you, but when I feel betrayed, I don't act real spiritual. My flesh wants to kick in. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. And he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He broke it, gave thanks and broke it. And he knew Judas who had just left in a hurry. He didn't add that to the script then. They wouldn't have understood it, but he could have said, guys, Judas just left to betray me to Roman soldiers, to the Jewish elite actually, then to Rome. And within 24 hours, my body's going to be ripped to shreds. And I'm doing it for you. Because if I don't go through with this, you're damned. You have no forgiveness of sins. You have no hope. 
You have no eternal life. And so I'm willing to pay the penalty for your sins because the wages of sin is death. But I want instead for you to have eternal life because I'll pay the penalty for your sins. It was with that kind of divine, incredible, loving composure, knowing full what was happening. I mean, is that love or what? In the same way, he took the cup also after supper in the same thankful way. First, he gives thanks over a symbol that represents his body that's going to be torn to pieces. And then he takes another symbol that represents his blood that is literally going to be shed for them. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then he says that we should examine ourselves. Let a person examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Would you bow your head with me? Holy Spirit, search our hearts and our lives. Look at the way we live, Lord, and if we are living selfishly rather than selflessly, convict us and then we ask you to forgive us and then lead us. Look at the way we love, Lord, and convict us if our love is conditional, if our love is resentful, if our love is something we have to earn, people have to earn. And instead, help us to love like you did. And Lord, especially with the difficult or unloving people in our lives, Help us to love them like you did. And help us to live out the rest of our days with no unfinished business. No, I love you that needed, needed to have been said. No forgiveness that needed to be granted. No joy that needed to be experienced. No hope and peace that needed to be shared. Lord, let us live and love and someday leave like you. Would you just whisper a prayer of thanks to the Lord for what he did for you? And now, if you haven't yet, whisper a prayer asking for help. Because I, for one, without his help, fall short of living like, loving like Jesus loved and living like he lived. Ask him for his help. Let's take the bread and the cup together, shall we? Would you stand together with us? Now we call funerals many times a celebration of life. Now we're really going to celebrate what we know to be back to life tomorrow and Sunday. 
But let's just say for now, we don't have Saturday and Sunday. We'll have Sunday yet in our awareness like the disciples didn't. Jesus lived a life worth celebrating, lived a life worth talking about and being grateful for. So here's what I want you to do before you leave. Here's your assignment. Oh, no. (laughs) I want you to turn to somebody as though we're kind of at the funeral service of Jesus and tell them, one thing I just love about Jesus is. Tell them a memory of him. Tell them something he said. Tell them the way he treated somebody. Let's take a moment and tell people something I just love about Jesus. And then we'll see you this weekend.